0: So I like to think of it like you're on a beach and you're on that beach on that sand and your dharma, your purpose is out in the open waters. But to get to those open waters, you got to go through the waves. And those waves are the obstacles, the conditioning, the, the times that you haven't listened to yourself. And the further away you are from that, the more decisions you've made not in alignment with your dharma, the bigger these waves are going to get.
1: Welcome to the Big Kid Problems podcast, based on the comedic social channel all about not wanting to be an adult. I'm your host, Sarah Merrill, the writer, creator, and pretty normal human behind the popular Instagram, Twitter, blog, and now podcast, Big Kid Problems. So I've spent the last almost decade making jokes about navigating the adult world. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that no matter what your age is, we all have big kid problems. We're all just trying to figure it out. And you know what? That's okay. So each week, we're going to take a funny yet informative look at a specific struggle or big kid problem, if you will. Then we'll break it down with a rotating cast of comedians, personalities, and experts to actually give us the tools and resources to help us solve our big kid problem of the week. From love and relationships, money, career physical and mental health, bad decisions, and just general life responsibilities, nothing is off limits. So thank you so much for joining me as we navigate adulthood together. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome back to another week and another episode of the Big Kid Problems podcast. For those of you new to the show, I'm your host, Sarah Merrill. Welcome. I am so excited about today's episode. We have such an awesome guest. You guys frequently DM me with topic requests or guests you want on the show. And this week's guest has been highly requested. She is a best-selling author, a speaker who has been featured by Vogue, Forbes, and NBC, just to name a few. And she's also the host of the number one rated spirituality podcast on iTunes, The Higher Self Podcast. Guys, we have the one, the only Sahara Rose in the house today. Sahara is known for making spiritual and ancient Ayurvedic wisdom fun and accessible. And just last week, she actually released a brand new book called Discover Your Dharma, A Vedic Guide to Finding Your Purpose. So today, she's going to walk us through just that. We'll discuss what a dharma is, how to discover your purpose, and why that may be different than what you do for work. We'll talk about some signs that you may be on or off track in life and how to turn that shit around if you feel you're not living in your true purpose. And ultimately, we're going to talk about how to use your natural gifts to feel more fulfilled in life. The thing is, we all have these natural talents and things that unconsciously drive us. So for anyone who feels a little bit lost or not sure what they're doing in life, Sahara does such a good job of breaking things down and giving us all a lot more clarity. This is truly such a powerful episode. I think it's a perfect time to be talking about this in the beginning of the year when we're still kind of tinkering around with our goals and figuring out our direction and focus for the year. So I hope you love this episode and get as much out of it as I did. With that, stay tuned and we will be right back with Sahara Rose. To kick off the new year, we have a new sponsor alert. Guys, I am so, so pumped to introduce Ritual to our Little Big Kid Problem family. Ritual is a vegan-friendly, clean multivitamin reimagined. And I actually heard about them on one of my favorite podcasts and was so, so curious to try them. Ritual is formulated with nine key ingredients, including vitamin D3 to help fill gaps in the diet. Their minty fresh tasting delayed release capsules are designed to dissolve later so you can actually Actually take them with or without food, which is awesome. And I love that they are also designed with different life stages in mind. Like they have formulations for men, women, and teens, and they also have a best-selling prenatal vitamin. I mean, I'm not pregnant, but one of my best friends is, and she absolutely swears by them. Some multivitamins can have synthetic fillers, artificial colorants, and other weird ingredients. And I love that Ritual is completely transparent and traceable about their supply chain chain so you know exactly what's going into your body. For the new year, I actually ordered Ritual for myself and for my fiance so we could start the year on the right foot. We're usually pretty health conscious, especially in the beginning of the year. And this was just such an easy way to do something good for our bodies and start a positive, healthy habit early into 2021. Ritual is also super convenient and delivers your multivitamin right to your door every month with free shipping always. So you can start, snooze, or cancel your subscription Anytime, And if you don't actually love Ritual within your first month, they're going to refund your first order. So you deserve to know what's in your multivitamin. That's why Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off during your first three months. Just visit ritual.com slash big kid to start your ritual today. All right, guys, welcome back to the Big Kid problem podcast. I'm sitting here with Sahara Rose. Welcome to the show. Ah, uh, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. I'm so excited we could connect, and I'm I'm really excited. You just launched your new book, Discover Your Dharma. Tell us a little bit for anybody who doesn't know you um, or doesn't know what the heck a dharma is. Tell us
0: a little. Give us a little bit about your background and like what prompted this book. Yeah, so first of all the word dharma means your purpose. It's your soul's purpose, it's the big reason why you are here and it's so much more than just a job or a career. It's really your soul's fullest expression. So when I say soul, you can add in whatever language you want, but what I'm what I really mean by a soul is its past it's past your mind it's past your thoughts it's something that you really can like deeply feel within you so those interests that you just have those curiosities those things those things you're excited about those things that really make you come alive this is all part of your dharma so my journey of you know even getting to the topic of writing a book on this was because i did not believe that i had one growing up as a kid i just knew i wanted to help the world and i didn't know how like i think a lot of us as kids we you know we see atrocities and we're like i need to do something to to solve this but we don't really know what that looks like and for me my dad was an immigrant and my mom was a refugee so i firsthand saw just so many things from you know political imprisonment child marriage of my own grandmother like so many really difficult worldly issues that come from my own lineage so i felt this really huge responsibility of i need to do something i need to like save the world but You know, when you're a verbal kid, they're like, be a lawyer. I'm like, okay, I'll be a lawyer. You know, they're like, you talk so much, be a lawyer. Um, So I was like, okay, what can I do? How can I help people? Mother Teresa, what does she do? Okay, be a nun? Should I be a nun? Gandhi, okay, should I like start protests? Like, I was just looking for an example of what that could look like. And all the examples I saw were, first of all, very extreme. Second of all, very sacrificial. So I always thought to be a good person, to live your purpose, you got to sacrifice your life. You got to basically. Do something you really don't want to do that no one else is willing to do. And that's how you help people. So I was like, okay, what are the worst issues in the whole entire world? Like human trafficking, I'll do that. So I went to school to actually study human rights law and international development to be working with child sex trafficking, child labor, child soldiers, all of the most intense topics in the world. And it was when I was working with the NGOs there that I was like, this is not in alignment with with my gifts with my purpose i feel like i'm just doing the same thing over and over again i'm not even really helping the people it's kind of just raising money for the next fundraisers next fundraisers next fundraisers and i don't even know where this is going so i was really confused because here i was my whole life thinking i'm going to do something and i have no idea what i'm going to do and i began that journey of questioning you know what do I like to do? What's my purpose? What, what am I good at? And during this time, I ended up getting my own health issues. So I started with digestive issues, which turned into hormonal imbalances, anxiety, insomnia. My body went into perimenopause when I was 21 years old. So I stopped producing any kind of hormones, had osteoporosis symptoms, my body totally shutting down. And in that journey, I became obsessed with health myself. Never thought I would create a career out of this. And then from that process, if I need to learn everything to heal myself, eventually studying Ayurveda, which is the world's oldest health system, then I realized how deeply I want to share it with other people who probably went to so many different types of doctors and were getting all of these, you know, another prescription and not told what's really going on. And that led me to starting my blog, which after years wanting to share that in a book. Now that process of me wanting to share that in the book was really when when my dharma was planted because it wasn't like I just wrote a book and then it happened and now everything's great. I first of all, had no idea where to start. Never met an author in my whole life. And my parents were telling me, you are out of your mind. Who are you? You're gonna be a starving artist. You're gonna end up homeless. Like get a normal job. You're so out of touch with reality. You're never going to make it. So I'm confused because here are the people that I trust the most who are Mm -hmm. telling me that this is never going to work out. And I don't think they're really happy with what they're doing. I definitely don't want to be like that either. But I don't really know anyone who has taken a risk and made it. So I'm like confused whether these are my own thoughts or thoughts that are given to me. And I kept going in circles and circles of, you know, I'm gonna write this book to, I'm just gonna become a real estate agent and like these like polar extremes of what do I do with my life? And, you know, I eventually wrote the book and I got rejected by 30 different publishers and I kept going and I kept going until eventually I got a book deal. Walked up to Deepak Chopra at a conference, he wrote the forward of the book. And that went on to be the best-selling Ayurveda book globally. And I have gone on to write three more books since then. But the question that I kept getting was like, how did you get past that? How, how yeah. are you able to, you know, make your living teaching ancient wisdom? Like, that's not a normal job. How are you doing this? So I realized the story behind the story was the how and all of the the obstacles and the limiting beliefs and the roadblocks I had to get through to finally make it happen. And then also, you know, the many synchronicities and feelings of alignment that I would feel when I would make a decision in alignment with my Dharma, like Deepak Chopra writing The Ford, who was like my idol growing up. And that's what prompted me to write Discover Your Dharma. And when I started writing it, I didn't know about 2020, but it really is the most timely moment that a book like this can come out because we're at the biggest career loss and transition in our modern history right now with so many people being unemployed and the opportunity being with this obstacle. How can I better create a life that's more in alignment with my gifts? And that's really what discovering your Dharma is about. Oh my gosh, what a what a great way of uh introducing your book and there's so much there.
1: I'm like where do we even begin? But you're right. I do think this is such a great time for this book to come out and it's also with like the new year and it's just it's like a refresh. Like everybody has the opportunity now. We just went through the craziness in 2020 and it's really a time where we can actually sit and look back and say, "Okay, what do I want to focus my time on moving forward?" But one of the biggest things, um I mean, you said when you started kind of finding your your path and finding your Dharma, but one of the things you mentioned, which I thought was really um interesting, is how you you would hit roadblocks like and and I think anybody can relate to this, and I know you talked about it in your book of when you can start to feel if your life is on track versus if it's not on track mm. and I like you mentioned, you know, you start down this one way and then you're like, wait, should I be a real estate agent? Like there's all these things that kind of make you make you question your path along the way. And I would love for you to kind of maybe address maybe address that.
0: Mm. So the way that I see it, we were all born on this highway. And at the end of the highway is your dharma, it's your fullest expression. It's who you were meant to be in this lifetime. So as you're going down this highway, you're on cruise control. You're you're feeling the flow. You're experiencing synchronicities, and that's like you're you're meeting the right people at the right time. You're having the right conversations. You're you turn on a podcast, you hear exactly what it is that you needed to hear right now. You get on Instagram, it's the exact quote that you needed to hear, and it's like you've almost taken a passenger seat to your own life, and the universe is propelling you in the direction of your dharma. So that's that feeling of of effortless flow. And that's what so many spiritual books talk about. Follow the flow, follow the path of least resistance, follow what feels right. And that's truly how life was meant to be lived. Like That is your birthright. That is who you are at your core. However, we live in a society that doesn't really... It doesn't set us up for success to live our most flow-like state and to be in alignment with our dharma. You know, as a child, you are very in touch with your gifts, and then you go into institution, which tells you to think this and be that. And eight p.m., eight a.m., we're going to do history, and nine, we're going to do algebra, and it's like. So not natural for us. And to second guess yourself and that teacher knows right. And now your parents' point of authority is your teacher's form of authority is your guidance counselor, your college counselor, your boss. There's always going to be someone to tell you what to do next. So... Essentially, this shuts down our ability to feel that flow and feel that synchronicities and we get off of these exits now. So these exits off the highway are like, you'll make a lot more money doing this or well, everyone's doing that or your parents will only be proud of you if you do that or it's way too late for you to do that. So everyone you see around you is getting off one of these exits, and people are telling you, "Wait, you're you're still going straight for dharma? Don't you know that thing doesn't even exist? Don't you know that that's just some baloney they tell you as a kid to follow your dreams, but it's actually like Santa Claus and it doesn't really, it doesn't actually exist out there." So you're like, "Oh fuck!" Like, has my whole life been taught to like follow my dreams, and then you grow up and it's like, "No, we were just fronting there. Do not do that." And so you get off the you get off one of the exits too. It's it's all you see people around you doing. And the universe responds. And the universe responds in the only language that we can understand, which is pain and obstacles. So at first it gives you tap, 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 you feel anxious, you really don't want to go into work. Something is just feeling off. But most of the time we think, oh, life's tough. Get a helmet, keep going. So you know. You keep going. Maybe you like have an extra glass of wine at night to cope with things and you you keep going. And then it begins to respond really bad anxiety, panic attacks, depression, breakdowns. And then you look around and you're like, well, this must be normal. Everyone else I know is going through this. So I guess I got to start drinking more. I guess I got to start self-numbing, self-whatever it is that I'm doing more to cope with this life because this is what it is. So you keep going and you keep going again off that exit further and further away from your dharma. And then the universe shakes you up. It shakes you up in whatever way you will listen. For some people, that could look like a collision. For some Hmm. people I just spoke with earlier today, he's like, I stepped on a hair straightener and then my foot got infected. I couldn't walk for three months. I'm like, that's what your soul needed. Like, (sighs) it looks like something that you just can't not pay attention to. So... Everyone's going to have their own unique breakdown that it takes for them to pay attention. And some people still don't. Some people live in a series of breakdown after breakdown, after breakdown, after breakdown. And they think, why is the world out to get me? Mm-hmm. But oftentimes we use that as a awakening moment. Like, and this doesn't mean that you're less special or less intuitive if you have to get there. Eckhart Toll was nearly going to kill himself before he realized the power of now. And now look at where he's at. So, some people need to really hit a breakdown moment to make a shift. It's like depending on how much you're listening. So, when you are able to note that these feelings of pain, resistance, the universe stopping me from my path are actually a sign that something needs to change, you become more adept. You're able to make a U turn, you're able to turn back and say, okay. I know that this is not how life is meant to be lived, so I need to change now. Here is where people get stuck and here 's where I was like why aren 't spiritual books talking about this it's like, so then what what do you do now it's like what do you you' you're you're working out this job for ten years? What do you do? You just quit mm-hmm. and I think that oftentimes to get to the path of least resistance, you have to take the path you are the most resistant to, so it 's not that you just I'm just going to live my life in flow. To get to that flow, you're going to be confronted with your biggest fears, the very things that you were running away from. So I like to think of it like you're on a beach. And you're on that beach, on that sand, and your dharma, your purpose is out in the open waters. But to get to those open waters, you got to go through the waves. And those waves are the obstacles, the conditioning, the, the times that you haven't listened to yourself. And the further away you are from that, the more decisions you've made not in alignment with your Dharma, the bigger these waves are going to get. So oftentimes we try to get into the water, the waves throw us back and we're like, oh, fuck it. Dharma must not exist. Or you see your uncle on the shore like, yeah, I tried to make it in my college band and it didn't work. So don't follow your dreams. And you, know, you, you hear stories like that. So you're like, you know, maybe these open waters don't exist. But if you can trust that the reason why people are talking about the purpose of life for so many years is because there is something out there for each and every person and you begin to go through those waves and you get stronger and you learn how to dodge them and you learn how to duck and you become a better swimmer until you make it out to those open waters and that's when you're living in flow. That's when you're in that path of least resistance But it's not an instant shift to get there. It requires you going into those really deep pain points that you may have escaped from, feeling of unworthiness, feeling like you're not good enough, feeling like it's too late, you're not educated enough, whatever it is. Because those experiences are your unique training to help you embody your dharma.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's. I like that analogy of going through the ocean waves. But here's the thing, and I think this is something that I especially get tripped up in is like... How do you know if it's karma trying to give you that like tap being like, hey, you're not in alignment versus going through the waves? Because I feel like I, I go through the waves all the time and I'm just getting like mm-hmm. <laughs> pushed down in the water over and over again. And I'm like, do I keep
0: swimming or do I turn, it, turn this bitch around? Yeah, exactly. So there are two types of resistance. There's personal resistance and universal resistance. Personal resistance is your own shit. It's your, I'm not good enough. I'm too late. I'm too this. I'm too that. If it's coming from your inadequacy, then you know this is, this is a you thing. If it's coming in the form... And, and the other thing to look for is how does it feel? are you doing this out of fear? Are you doing this out of survival? Are you doing this because you think you should? Or are you doing it because it makes you feel expansive? And I'll share with you a practice on expansion after this to help you somatically feel that. But so oftentimes we're like, I keep getting... For example, I got rejected by 30 different publishers to write the book. But I deeply wanted to write this book. So for me, those were the waves of how do I present this in a different way? How do I get stronger? How do I believe in myself so much that when no one believes in me, I can cultivate that level of belief in myself? These are essential... Like traits that I need to have in the type of work that I'm doing. But I wanted the end goal deeply. Mm. I knew that was related to my Dharma. But let's say I went on, you know, when I would try to study for the real estate exam, like I wasn't being sarcastic. My mom was like, just be a real estate agent because you'll have some free time to do your weird Ayurveda stuff. Like, so I was like, okay, maybe she's right. You just do your money thing and then you do your thing that you love. So every single time I would open up that book, I, I couldn't even think. I would start crying often. like It was like a full body. No, I would feel contraction. I was doing it because I felt like I had to, not because I wanted to. So that's kind of like the difference. The universal resistance is that feeling of, I don't want to do this, but I'm doing it anyways because I think I should. The personal resistance is, I deeply want this, but I feel like I'm not adequate enough.
1: Mm, I love... That's a really... That was a really clear way to distinct the two. And I'm glad that we... We did that. So when I love that example too of you know you just getting the constant rejections from the book publishers, and I'm interested because you mentioned it briefly, but like how so you you realize you're not in flow really with the universe, like the universe keeps like delivering you these no's and no's and no's. So how did you how did you kind of figure out how to get into flow with that? Where you know you got your book deal and it's a bestseller and all of these great things, like it was like a, a huge turnaround for you. Like how did you how did you get back in there?
0: Yeah. So, what happened for me specifically was I got rejected by those publishers. And then the literary agent who I ended up meeting this girl who had a book, and then she connected me with her literary agents it was kind of a series of synchronicities. And she was like, You know, thought it was a good book. It was a good run. Like, that's it. And I was like, That can't be it. I, I would just imagine seeing this book on the shelves of Barnes and Nobles back when Barnes and Nobles was a thing. <laughs> I'm like, Imagine I'm on, on these shelves. So, I kept holding that vision, and and when I say keep holding that vision, I wasn't like doing a vision board or anything about it. It was just more of a personal like, it's gonna happen. I just don't know how. Mm. And Honestly, it just took a couple days later that she was approached by another publisher. They were looking for someone to write the official Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda, part of the Idiot's Guide series, like Idiot's Guide to Lawn Mowing, Idiot's Guide to Goddesses, Idiot's Guide to this, this, that. So they were looking for someone to write the Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda. And I pitched. I went into Barnes & Noble's that day, read every single Idiot's Guide book, like gave it my all. And within two days, I was hired to write that book. So it showed up for me in a different way. And at first I was like, oh, now I have to write a whole new Ayurveda book in their tone. And this isn't what I want to do. And I have to start from scratch again. This isn't what I wanted. I wanted to do my thing. But now I realized so deeply that I needed to go through that experience to like really cultivate a level of mastery that I didn't mm-hmm. even have at that point to be able to essentially write a textbook on the subject. So universe was like, okay, if you want to be an expert in this thing, Here's your dissertation, you got it right. So, so it's, it's opening yourself up to letting it come in different ways that you mm. didn't even expect it and holding, holding the idea of where you want it to go. So I still knew even when I was writing Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda that I wanted to do my own Ayurveda book, bring my own spin to it, etc. So as soon as I was done writing that book, I was like, hey, here's my idea for my own book. And that same publisher said yes. Mm. I
1: love that. That it's not always going to show up the exact way that you think it's going to, but it's what you needed. Okay. I think that's a great point. And to this, at this point, I mean, we've been talking about like, if you kind of know like what it is that you want to do, you have like a deep calling towards something. What if you don't, what if you, what if you're not sure what your purpose is? Like, how do you even begin to find out what it is?
0: Yeah. So for me, archetypal work has been so instrumental in my life. Archetypes are, you know, like frameworks, personality quizzes, astrology, human design. Like these are all archetypes. So I studied so many different types of archetypes and When I had no idea what I wanted to do, it would help me see myself in like this larger framework and I could see other people I knew who had that archetype and be like, okay, they're showing up this way. So that means that something like that could be possible for me too. And when I was writing Discover Your Dharma, I came up with these nine Dharma archetypes. So these are the nine archetypes related to your purpose. So we can kind of go through them briefly. (sighs) Oh my
1: God. Anybody who listens to this podcast knows that I love shit like this. Let's go through them. <laughs>
0: yes. Okay. Uh, so and I'll pers- mention
1: too, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about them, but you also have an online quiz. Yes. Um, where you can kind of you can you can take it. I actually took it before this interview to find out mine, and it was really fun and easy.
0: Amazing. Yeah. So I have that's great. <laughs> yes yeah, so that's over at dharmaarchetypequiz.com and there's a whole chapter on it in the book um but the first dharma archetype is the teacher so the teacher is someone who goes through life like learning something and as soon as they learn it, they need to teach it to other people. So if you were the type of person like in school, whatever it was that you were learning about, like if you would pretend to teach it to someone else and that helped you learn about it, then you probably have the teacher archetype. Now teacher doesn't necessarily mean like teaching in front of a classroom. You could be teaching on YouTube. You could be teaching like Sports, you could be teaching so many things, but you want to impart knowledge. Their their dharma is to be a transfer of knowledge, and that really makes them feel like in their power. So, do you feel like you relate to the teacher
1: a little bit? Only because like th- that's kind of why I started this podcast. is like I learned a bunch of cool shit <laughs> and trying to figure out my life in my twenties and wanted to wanted to uh, impart some knowledge,
0: but it's not my main one. Mm-hmm. But cool. I do feel I feel it a little bit. Yeah. So the next one is the nurturer. The nurturer is here to care and connect. They are here to dive deep with people, to listen to people, to hold space. They really want... To, they don't want to tell someone what to do. Like a teacher is like, Hey, I'm here to tell you what to do. You know, I'm here to transfer this knowledge. The nurturer is here to listen. They're here to evoke the wisdom that lives inside of you. So more of a coach as opposed to mm. you know, a consultant or a teacher. So the nurturer really wants to dive deep. You know, think of Oprah. Like Oprah is obviously super influential and famous, but she goes on those massive stages and sits on a chair next to the person and has like a one-on-one conversation with them. That's, that's how her dharma works. So nurturers, they just really want to care and connect with people. And each of these archetypes have their shadow side, which is like you know, the sticky side to it. So for the teacher, it's sometimes you can be preachy, not connecting with the people that you're teaching it. Like, I care about this thing, so you should too. You know, Like the annoying history teacher. And the shadow side of the nurturer is you might struggle with boundaries. You might want to be there for everyone that it's hard for you to practice your own self-care and to say no. So do you relate to the nurture? I mean, in ways, but it's definitely not my main one. (laughs) Yeah, it's not not my main one either. So the visionary is this is my main one. So the, the visionary is here to be a voice. They're here to be a channel. They're very future oriented. Like where is the new paradigm heading? They're very focused on inspiration. So thinking of someone who like shows up on stage and gives an inspirational speech and uses the gift of their voice to channel messages across. So they are people who might not be so caught up in the details but like will enter the situation like ri- like rise everyone's consciousness up. So you know, very big picture spiritual type of people tend to be in this visionary category. And the shadow side of the visionary is sometimes they can also be preachy in the... You know, when you're like not having it and someone's like, come on, like raise up and you're like, no. So sometimes they they so deeply care about their cause that the people that they're they're maybe trying to help might not be ready for it. So I've learned this lesson myself as a visionary. Oftentimes I'll see someone and like want to save their lives and like help them with everything and like raise them up and like, come on, we got this. And then I've learned like maybe they were playing along because I was there, but they weren't ready for it or they weren't wanting it and it wasn't actually helping people. So mm-hmm. it's really important for a visionary to know to speak when you are being asked to, invited to, whereas just like telling people what to, what to how they should change.
1: Do you relate yeah. to the visionary? I know a few visionaries, and I love that you're also giving the shadow side of these. <laughs>
0: like it's, you're like, oh, it's so I fun. know this one. Yeah, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So good. Yeah. So that's my my first one. My second one is teacher. So the the fourth one is entrepreneur. Now entrepreneurs are here to create profit and impact. So it's both. So there's someone that look up to like Sarah Blakely, right? The founder mm-hmm. of Spanx. They're like, it is amazing. She is like. I don't know, like the youngest female billionaire besides like Kylie Jenner, which is debatable. But, anyways, they look up to Sarah Blakely because of what she was able to get done. She was able to, you know, create a solution. They're here to solve problems. This might not be like a humanitarian issue. It could be an issue of I want to wear a dress and look good in it. So I need Sphinx. Or it could be a societal issue as well. Like, we want to reduce environmental waste. So let's create a bamboo straw company or something like that. But for them, they're really practical. They like to... Like a visionary will be like, we are going to connect to the earth and the earth is inside of us. And like that's how they would approach a problem. Whereas the entrepreneur is like, okay, let's reduce plastic consumption by 200% in the straw category with these bamboo straws. And here's the company and here's how we're going to set it up. So it has a bit more of that like masculine structured energy to it. And it wants to create something that will be sustainable. That really matters to the entrepreneurs. Now, the shadow side is because they love to create businesses and be part of their work. work Work-life Boundary separation doesn't exist with them. It's like a continuous cycle of who they are. So when they're in relationship with other people, it can be really hard because they're like always working. They they might be like having sex and like, I had an idea about my work and like get to their Slack channel, you know? So definitely with the work-life boundaries and then also finding people who care as much as they do because they're so passionate about what it is that they're doing that it's often super frustrating for them they can feel really alone of why don't people care as much as i do mm. do you feel Dude. like the entrepreneur i definitely have a big chunk of this for sure <laughs>
1: um and i wonder do you ever uh, talk to people who think that they that they want to identify with one but they don't necessarily do like i feel like i i i want to identify with the entrepreneur and i do in certain in certain aspects but to my core
0: core core it's still not my my main. So I would say the very fact that you would want to be that means it's inside of you. Mm-hmm. The desire would not be there if it wasn't. Like when I read the nurturer one I'm like I'm glad I'm not that, you know? <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to be that. That's not my dharma. Or even the entrepreneur one, like that I don't want to be that, but you do. So the fact that you do means it's inside of you. It's probably an archetype that hasn't like fully come online but mm-hmm. is waiting. So I always say your dreams are dreaming you back. And what that means is the very fact that you have a dream is it's it's waiting for you to happen. It's just, you know, your process of creating this podcast and creating, you know, different businesses, etc., are what are going to allow you to step further into that entrepreneurial way. Now you may want to be an entrepreneur or someone because it's trendy, because Gary Vee is saying so, because it looks like they make a lot of money, but your like actual happy space is Researching science labs, or you know, coaching one-on-one with people. So that's not a genuine desire. That's more of a societal expectation. So it's giving yourself to be the full permission of who you are, and letting yourself step into who you want to become. Yeah, I,
1: I like that you um, identified that because I do think a lot of people try to like push themselves like a like a like a circle and a what's this? <laughs> in a square peg in a round hole or whatever it is <laughs> to try and fit certain things where they think. Are supposed to be, but they might not necessarily.
0: Treat. Yeah, I think especially entrepreneur is like such a trend right now. Like everyone wants to be an entrepreneur and not everyone should. It's not everyone's mm-hmm. darba. Like, and sometimes you need to step into different archetypes to help you get to where you want to go. So I had to super dive into my entrepreneur archetype, you know, in the past couple of years because I'm trying to create a business and I'm trying to take it off the ground and I need to learn about these things. But is it my desire to have a huge business like not at all like i don't even like being a ceo but i needed to learn how to do it to be able to step into my full visionary self so it's not about like you just do the archetypes you're good at you discard the rest you want to make sure you don't have you know a gaping hole in your pocket that it's not like you have this amazing idea but because you're super resistant to one archetype you're not able to get it off the ground and you're not trying to rechange your whole life to be an archetype that you're not
1: yeah, that was actually a cool thing that I know you mentioned in the book and how like different part different points in your life you might identify with these archetypes differently like I I know you mentioned like when you're pregnant or when you you know you give birth to a child you you might like dig into like the nurturer or whatever it is. So I think that that's a, a cool thing to uh to to highlight. But let's keep going.
0: Totally. <laughs> I love these. <laughs> so the next one is the artist. So the artist is here to create beauty. So they're the type of people Everything they do will have a sense of beauty to it like their Instagram feeds will be so beautifully curated their style, their homes like the li- like their phone case like everything is going to have their style, their touch to it. They really care about the aesthetics, the sounds like the experience of it so like a pure entrepreneur will be like, okay, what's the best ROI what's the most practical like how do we just get this done the artist. Does not care about that. The artist is like, how can I make this the most beautiful experience possible? That's what really matters to me. And you can be both and have different sides to yourself. You know, artist is my third one and then entrepreneur is my fourth. But for example, when I was creating my my Oracle card deck, a yogic path, I was like, I don't care if I don't make money doing this. I want the gold foil. I want the, I want the this, I don't want that. I don't even care about the money element because my artist just wanted to shine through. Whereas I wouldn't make that decision in every element of my business. Mm. So the artist is someone who is very sensitive to their surroundings. They're picking up on a lot of information. So that's where they're getting their creativity from. Now, this requires them to spend a lot of time alone. They tend to be lone wolves. They do their best work when they're on their own because they're picking up on so many things that when they're around people, they can get very lost in it. When they're on their own, their creativity can you know, come back they probably don't like really loud places places with a lot of different energy because they're so like sensitive and picking up on things super fast that it's too hard for them another thing is an artist likes to create everything so they're the type of people who will like diy like everything because they love the process of creating something that really matters to them so for example you know in in some people that i know who are like super artists like one guy he's a painter but he will like literally do all the renovations of his house and his car and he like built a motorcycle and he built this like teepee thing and he's just like always making things even though it's not his job but it's like he, that's just how he sees the world it's like this all of these raw materials that he gets to create things from and that's just how he sees the world but he can't even go to his own art shows because he gets so sensitive with all the energy there that it's too much for him he's like I don't want all these people to look at me and talk to me it's too much I just want to make the art and be alone so we can mm-hmm. all like think of that like artist that creator, like the Frida Kahlo who, you know, I go more in depth into them in the book, but sometimes the artists can have like manic depressive, you know, episodes because they're so sensitive. They're feeling all the feels and that's where their genius comes from. So it's not something they totally want to, they don't want to kill that side of themselves either. Yeah. You relate to the artist? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's
1: funny, though. Like, I'm listening to all of these and I'm like, I relate to a lot of these shadow sides. Like, I'm like, like, I'm just like shadows. (laughs) The painting? No. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I don't like create like actually anything beautiful. Like,
0: I make memes. But like... (laughs) That's art, you know? And we're going to look back like, mom, what incredible memes you created. (laughs) I,
1: I hope so, because there's like sometimes like I even like have gone back in time to see some of the stuff I write, and I'm like, this is not gonna age well. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
0: But that's an art form in itself. Like, and art is always changing. Like, that's why I actually love TikTok because I'm like, people are so creative. It's like give them 15 seconds, and they will come up with entire like sagas, like all sorts of experiences, and it's beautiful. And and that's what you know, hate it or love it. That's what the artist is becoming. It's it's adapting to our internet, and it's creating a different form of art. You know, back in the day, you could spend 30 years on one painting. Now it's like three days, you're not online. People think you're dead. And and some artists may really resist that and not want that. And other artists may be like, Hey, I want to get my creativity across. So I'm going to adapt to the times. Right, right. Guys, just like we're talking about different
1: Dharma archetypes, we all have different sleep types as well. Some of us like to sleep on our sides, our stomachs. Some of us like to sleep diagonally across the bed, Brandon. Sorry, I had to call out my fiancé there for a second. But no matter how you sleep, there is a perfect mattress just for you. And that's where Helix comes in. Helix offers a sleep quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. They have several different models to choose from, like soft, medium, and firm mattresses. Mattresses is great for cooling you down if you sleep hot. And even a Helix Plus mattress for our plus size folks. Brandon and I each. Have different sleep styles. So we took the quiz and got matched with the midnight luxe style, which is a perfect balance for us. We're each sleeping through the night better and disturbing each other less, which is great for our relationship. And now that our dog somehow weasels his way in between us every single night, he's happier too. So if you're curious which mattress is right for you, take the quiz. I'm going to link it in show notes, but just go to slash big kid and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you you the best sleep of your life. The whole process is so easy and convenient and your mattress is delivered right to you so you don't have to go to an actual store or talk to people, which is always a plus. And they have a 10-year warranty and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't absolutely love it. As a partner of this podcast, Helix has an exclusive offer just for our listeners. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows at helixsleep.com slash kid. So if you're in the market for a new mattress, definitely take advantage of this. Again, just head to helixsleep.com slash kid and start getting a better night's sleep today.
0: Okay, let's, let's keep it going. Love what else it. we got? So the next one is the researcher. Now the researcher wants to dive deep. They want to go into the details. They want to do the analysis. They're the type of person, you send them an article or something on Instagram, they're going to do the research. They're not going to just reshare that thing they have this childlike curiosity in how they see the world. Like They're like, why is the sky blue? Why is the grass green? Why is this, that? Why is? And that's how they view the world. They feel their most at home when they're like deep in research in their books or like on this like Google binge and they're just like, un- they're like getting more information from it. That's what makes them feel alive. So oftentimes, you know, there's some researchers that are focused on the past, some that are focused on the future. So past ones are very into history Mm. very into what has happened and why because it helps us understand now others are very futuristic research technology ai you know vr that type of things but the way they're going to do it is in the details so you know you'll see them of course in like science labs etc but they also might be that person who will like write a really deep Instagram post with like all of this research of why or um, like Deepak Chopra, for example, he has a lot of researcher to him. Like he is obviously a spiritual teacher, but he's doing so in like, let me prove to you that meditation works. Let me prove to you that this, like it's all through his very medical, biological mind that he's expressing his Dharma. So the shadow side of that is sometimes they have a hard time taking action. They feel like I'm never going to have... I don't have enough information. I need to wait. It's, I'm not ready yet. And then they acquire all of this information that never ends up being spread. But most, most importantly, what is done with that. So it's really important for them to cultivate more of the warrior archetype, which we'll talk about the entrepreneur archetype, so they can take action on, on this research and let it actually help the world. Do you relate to the researcher? Um, Like a little bit. Uh, but I definitely don't think it's like
1: my main. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. But I do. I I, I. I. That's interesting that there's like two different types of like the past versus the focused on the present. Like I'm probably more focused on the past mm. when it comes to that one. Like, and I, I do love doing research and like I was almost a history major. Hmm. So I'm interested, but still not. I mean, that's a not big deal,
0: girl. Almost a history major. <laughs> like that is super researcher vibes. And it's like this feeling of like, you're on a roll, like, oh, I'm getting somewhere. I'm like, I'm like getting this information that other people aren't. And and it gives people a level of passion to do. So it's not one of my main archetypes either, but I have like, in writing the Ayurveda book was like major researcher vibes. And there was this feeling of like adrenaline of like, yeah, I learned that thing, you know? Yeah. But it's not what I meant, how I meant to express my gifts like for the rest of my life. Right. So the next one is the entertainer. So the entertainer is here to make people feel. They're here to make people laugh, smile, think, just to really make people feel any kind of way. They're the type of people who will take a boring situation and make it novel. So like, you know, when you're like in a car for four hours after a concert and it's so much traffic to get out of that parking lot, the entertainer in the car will be like, let me tell you the story or let's do a skit or let's do karaoke or let's blast this music. And like that becomes their stage, like boring moments or awkward, awkward ball times that's when they really come online like they're the type of people at a party like there will be a crew of people around them and they're like they're just doing impressions they're making people laugh like they they really thrive in making people feel some sort of way now this doesn't mean they're all comedians sometimes they could be like theater theater majors or drama actors or anything else, but they're still using their expression to make you go into another state. And this really is an ancient archetype as well. Like we've always had the jesters in society. It's like crucial for humanity to have entertainment. We actually need a form of escape and it helps us understand the world better Jim Carrey is such a great example of this. He literally morphs into his different characters, but then will use so in a way to make you think about the world in a different way. And that's his lens of doing so. So, you know, there's so much beauty in the entertainer. And interestingly enough, The entertainer is an archetype that a lot of people want to be when they're young because they often see entertainers are making people happy or entertainers look happy themselves. You know, a poll, a recent poll said 80% of children want to be a YouTube star. Hmm. So it's like, do those kids want to be a YouTube star or... Do they get on YouTube and see those people look happy? They want to be happy so they think it's being a YouTube star. So I think a lot of times as kids, we're like, I want to be an actor. I want to be a ballerina because we're just like, well, mom and dad don't look happy and they do. So I do think a true entertainer is very different than someone who's just doing it because they feel like it's like what they should be doing. And the true entertainer will also feel the shadow side, which is getting lost in the roles they play, not knowing who they really are, always feeling like I got to entertain people, otherwise I won't be enough. And that's why oftentimes in you know the entertainment industry, we will see overdoses, you know, addictive behaviors. Addiction is a really big thing with the entertainers. It's a way of numbing out of how they really feel. So oftentimes, if entertainers don't go deeper into the why and into the who am I besides the roles that they play, they can lose themselves. Mm. So do you relate to the entertainer? Okay. So when I took your online quiz,
1: this is the one I got. (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) yeah so this is the this is the one I got the entertainer which I guess I mean if you take a look at what I do for a living I guess this is this is pretty spot on because like I tell I basically tell jokes as a living like that and that is like truly what comes naturally to me it's like my natural gift and talent is like saying stupid things that make people laugh (laughs) but yeah I love
0: that part of and it's you know and even like the memes it's like an art but it's really for entertainment Like that's the reason why you're doing it. It's to make people laugh. It's to make people like when they're scrolling to stop and just fucking feel something. And like that's what the entertainers want. And they feel alive doing so. They feel like they're like finally being themselves. Like sometimes entertainers feel more themselves when they're on stage or on camera than they do when they're alone. And and that shows that they're meant to be entertainers and to, I have a friend who's definitely an entertainer, but he's always on Instagram Live. Like this guy lives on Instagram Live. Every like, he'll just be like rearranging his computer on Instagram Live, and I realized it's probably because he just likes who he is so much better when the camera's <laughs> rolling. That he's like, let me just keep the camera rolling all the time because it makes me show up as a more confident version of myself. That's so funny. It's so
1: interesting, and I, I I will say for mine, like I don't think I'm like like a big on camera person like it is like a like a writing style for me which is so weird cuz i feel like if i lived in any other time period like i might not be i might not be uh living this as my career because like this didn't exist like it's it it's it's interesting that like we live in a time where we can like get away with just writing jokes and putting them out on the internet. Um, well, I would
0: say that it's always existed. There has always been, you know, our comedy was probably really different then, but there was always like, you know, Shakespeare. Like that's a comedy. Like there's always been some sort, even in the Greek times of, of the theater, there was always, you know, melancholy and, and comedy and all sorts of things. So I think in all of your lifetimes, you found a way to make people laugh. That's true, guys. In another
1: life, I was basically Shakespeare.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like a more funny and more sexy version. <laughs> it is sexy
1: Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I love that. I want to like start a new account called Sexy Shakespeare. Yeah, sexy Shakespeare. <laughs> oh
0: so, gosh. um so the next one is the activist. So the activist is here to bring about social, environmental, cultural change. They care about a cause. They are someone who wants to really talk about the worldly issues that other people will like bypass over. They're like, "Let's talk about the most intense things in the world and bring Bring about healing to it. They have a lot of fire to them, you know? So that's why we often see like the angry activists, because the shadow side of that is sometimes they're like, why don't people care as much as I do? Why am I the only one who's doing so? Like, I'm doing this for all of us, but none of you guys care, and they can feel a little bit jaded from doing so. But the activist is here to bring about change. So Marianne Williamson is a huge example of this. Like she, you know, writes books on all sorts of spiritual topics, but really she's an activist. Like that is what she's here for. And that's what makes her, you know, really come alive to, to bring about change. And that's what made her run for president. So an activist is here to make the world a better place. And the shadow side of that, like I've explained at the beginning, because this is one of mine, is the responsibility that the weight of the world is on your shoulders and like you single-handedly have to fix all of the things and that can feel really really overwhelming and really heavy and sometimes when you really go into the root of how fucked up some things are it can be very depressing so that activist needs to learn that this life isn't about them like sacrificing everything but they get to do things that they enjoy too Mm. yeah i feel like the activist
1: no i probably feel like the farthest That's probably the farthest one away from me. But when we when we talk about this, and I I I keep thinking too, you know, people might be identifying with one of these with one of these archetypes, and this is different than like necessarily picking your career, right? Because not all of these not all of these are going to like you know be a way for people to actually like live in and support themselves, like right? Like, can you can you still follow a purposeful path if you're the
0: activist and not that be your job. <laughs> For sure, but it will always be ingrained in what you do. So let's say you're an activist and entrepreneur. You'll probably be a social entrepreneur and give a percentage of your income away to whatever cause you believe in or like Tom's Shoes, like entrepreneur activist right there. So you might be an artist activist. Like you we can talk more about like kind of how the archetypes combine, but your true Dharma will include your different archetypes in it, but it might not be like you're a full-time like activist signing petitions. Like that's very, very few people are gonna do that full time. But maybe the activist is something that you get to do with, you know, the the income that you create or whatever else it is. So, you know, this year was definitely a huge year of the activist. It was a huge year of people speaking out and, and sharing. And I think the biggest lesson that a lot of people realize is not everyone is meant to be an activist. Like, true, like we all do have a role, but not everyone is here to like be the voice for change mm-hmm. or just speak on these big things. And in in this year, we were kind of so quick to be like, everyone needs to say something about this thing like right now. And if you're not showing up, then you're a horrible person. But it's like, then we get people speaking out of fear and then it's like well now it's not authentic now it's performative and it's like a lot of this coercion because we're trying to force people into an archetype that they aren't whereas there are some people who have been activists their whole lives that's their career and this is really their their topic to speak about and we get to support them so i think this is so important because we all you know we find the need for an for any kind of archetype. We're like, we all should be the the entrepreneur. Now we all should be the actress. We all should be the entertainer. But it's like, no, we all should not do anything, but support people in the expression of their archetype. Mm. I'm so glad you brought
1: that up, especially being like in the public um i mean I, I remember getting like a lot of shit that in twenty twenty at certain points where people were like, "You have a platform you need to be you need to be uh you know saying stuff, you need to be taking a stand on your platform and in my heart, I was like. Oh my God, I should, but then I would like actually think about it and be like, that doesn't feel right to me. Like it just doesn't feel natural to me. And I would like maybe start to like draft something and be like, you know what, this isn't, this isn't coming from a place of authenticity or like it, it doesn't feel warm. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't actually do it. And I would like respond to people, and be like, look, not every not everybody, you know, feels the way that you do. And, you know, not everyone's comfortable expressing themselves in that way. So I like that you brought that up.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. And we don't want people to be saying things for it's like everyone be funny, everyone give an inspirational talk. It's like not everyone can do all of these things. It's really an archetype. It's a, it's a role, it's something that we embody from within. And we all get to also play in the archetypes that we're not. So maybe if like, you know, speaking up on social issues is the scariest thing for you, that's your growing edge that you get to step into. Like for mine, my, my last one is the warrior, which is the one coming up next. So what has really helped me to step into my dharma is to like make friends with my inner warrior. But do I want to be her all the time? Like hell to the fuck no. But I know when I'm in situations, I can turn my warrior on. Mm. Okay, so so tell us about the warrior. Yes. So the warrior is really here to protect. They want to, they want to protect the disenfranchised. They want to be that voice for the voiceless. They really want to stand up. They're very physical in their body. So oftentimes they go into fitness. They're goal-oriented. So like think of a trainer. They're like, come on, we're gonna do this. We're gonna lose the weight. We're gonna get the body muscle. And it feels like this like battle that they're up against. They get to use their body. They're very team. They really care about camaraderie. They don't want to do things on their own, like the artist. They want to be like part of a team and we're Doing this together, like in sports, like that's that warrior like energy that it's like we're in this together. The police force, you know, like that is like we're here to protect, we're here to be the person who's going to stand up and make sure the people don't get hurt. And they like confrontation, they like to go face to face with someone and be like, yo, this is how it's going to go down. Like, I'm here to protect. And that makes them feel empowered. Now, again, that can show up in so many different ways, like AOC the politician, Alexandria Octavia Cortez, she is a warrior. Like that is her energy. She's the, um, I think, youngest congresswoman and she's a female. And she will just like, talk shit to anyone and be like, hey, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? And it's this warrior-like energy. She feels like a superhero. Like she feels like I'm here to be the Wonder Woman and I will be the voice for you guys. And that's what people love about her so much. And that's why she got into politics and can be in the eye of the tiger and in the confrontation. That's what makes her feel invigorated. Now Mm. the shadow side of that warrior is sometimes they can be so quick to fight that they don't even know what they're fighting for. They may not have done the research for it. They might just be like, like, you know, when your friend is like getting shit from someone, you're like, yo, fuck that bitch. Let, let, let <laughs> me ask her. You know? You're just like, maybe your friend actually did something. You don't even know. You're like, I'm going to protect my friend. So it can feel like that of like, so quick to combat instead of like sitting with it hearing the different perspectives. Warriors can be very right or wrong, very like dualistic, and they have a really strong moral compass of like, this is wrong and Mm -hmm. I won't let this happen. Whereas as we know, life is, you know, 50 shades of gray and there is no very clear cut solution to things. So the warriors, their growing edge is to sit with their emotions, let it be, and maybe not choose every single battle as their own.
1: Yeah. You know, what's funny is when I took that quiz, that was my secondary one. Wow. Does it resonate for you? When you're describing it now, I mean, I feel like there were so many other ones that I I resonate with more. But I guess like the physical side of the warrior, I do relate to. Like I was like always into sports and, and being physical and stuff like that. But I'm definitely like the least confrontational person ever. Like someone could literally come up and punch me in the face and I would apologize to them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so the, yeah, I mean, maybe just the answers you selected, you had a warrior moment at that time. <laughs> but that's why I recommend like do the quiz, but the full assessment is in the book and that's going to let you see because you're all we're all all nine of these archetypes you're not just one or two or even three you're all all nine but in varying amounts so in the in the assessment you rank them in order so you could be like okay I'm primarily the entertainer you know maybe secondarily I am the entrepreneur thirdly I'm the warrior and you typically have like your top two or so archetypes are really with you throughout the course of your life. But then after, those next couple might switch roles. So again, you may have years that you're more nurturer. You may have years that you're more researcher, etc. Based off of what's happening in your life. But the core of who you are, which is how you perceive information and show up in the world, those are kind of your top two archetypes and those are going to stay with you. Like you will be an entertainer no matter what. Even on your deathbed, you will be making people laugh. That is who you are. (laughs)
1: so fun. So what if you take the, what if you find out your archetype or you're listening to this podcast and you're like, wow, I really identify with this and I'm, you know, a real estate agent, you know, I'm doing something completely outside of what my archetype is. What would you say is like how, how would you start to incorporate this into your life or maybe pivot so that you can start to live like more of your dharma?
0: Yeah. So there are 3 three paths to get to your dharma. And I think it's really important to lay all three out because a lot of people think like, oh shit, I'm in the wrong job. I got to quit and like restart everything, but that's not the case. So the first path is to take that leap. Like, Let's say you're like, I hate my job. Every day I go, it is sucking the life force out of me. I don't have the energy to do anything else when I'm out of this job. And I'm never going to find my dharma if I'm doing this because it's taking so much away from me. Well that shows you can't you probably can't stay there any longer. So you may need to take the leap. Or if you're someone who's a risk taker, if you're an all or nothing person, if you know you do your best when there's like a little bit of tension, you, you gotta have like some some element of fear there to get you going, then taking the leap is for you, which is to actually maybe quit your job, you know, do whatever, maybe you move in a van, maybe you move in with your grandparents, maybe you do something else. Like I, I moved in with my grandparents. It's a great life hack to do because you're not <laughs> as annoying as your parents you know, but the rent is free. And I would just like, <laughs> them with the groceries because I just knew I didn't, I, I wanted to do something else, but I wasn't making money doing anything. So you might do that. But the thing about the leap is it's first of all, really stressful <laughs> very risky. And you kind of have to have all your eggs in this one basket and hope that something works. If it's not Mm -hmm. your goal, it's something. So for some people, that really puts a fire under their ass and helps them get it done. That was the case for me. And for other people, that would be super stressful or they're at a place that they have kids. They can't move back with anyone they they need to pay their bills they 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 don't do well with something so intense so that would be the transition so that is when like you're kind of a slow fade away from from what it is that you're doing so you might start researching like okay what what other things am i interested in what am i even curious about taking classes maybe you get you know an internship a side job a freelance job doing it maybe you get your podcast your book whatever it is off the ground but to also have a stable job so you don't feel like, shit, I need to make this the thing that's going to support me, but I'm still able to dedicate time doing it. Now, this is good if you are a more calculated risk taker. However, it's the more challenging because you've got to motivate yourself to get it done. And a lot of times people are like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do the transition. And then I'm like, what happened to your book? What, what mm. happened to the podcast? Because there wasn't that like life or death threat there. It just ends up, Okay, I'm going to write an hour in the mornings. Okay, on the weekends. Okay, once a month, once a year, it never happens. Mm. So with the transition, you really got to motivate yourself to show up, you know, whatever else it is. So in the book, I share and I'll share the last one I'll share the way for people to find out theirs but that's a good one to to keep in mind especially if you're someone who wants to do something like creative that might not be very easy to monetize like for example creating a podcast like our mutual friend Krista I wrote about her in the book but she had a full-time 9 to 5 job and she started her podcast almost 30 podcast and she Grew the podcast, you know, started to learn how to do podcast sponsors and gain listeners and really get momentum in doing so until she was at this place that she was like, okay, I know I could make just as much, if not more money, if I fully stepped into this podcast. So then from doing the transition, her leap was much smaller than if she just like had an idea for a podcast and quit her job and like had to figure it out, it probably wouldn't have become what it is. Mm-hmm. So now the third type is the, tra- is the um, accidental dharma. So that is when your dharma just finds you. So for example, my friend's uncle was an engineer. He's like worked as an engineer his whole entire life. He's in his 50s. He's an engineer. And when he was in his 50s, the HR team in his, the corporation he worked at said, everyone need to do an extracurricular. So he was like, okay, uh, what am I going to do? He looked randomly. He's like, okay, ceramics, I'll do that. And again, there are no coincidences in the universe. So he got his hands on that pottery wheel and just loved the way that the earth felt in his fingers and he felt so alive and started to show up every single day. He's like, I feel so good doing this. So day after day, making plates, bowls, cups. Before he knew it, he was a full-time potter, left his job as an engineer and now is a potter, which is pretty rare. That's amazing, actually. Yeah. So it's like he wasn't looking for his dharma. His dharma really found him. Now, he could have just as easily said, Oh, I love this pottery wheel. Too bad I don't have time for it. I got to work my job. And the dharma would have never evolved. So I believe that we all have an accidental dharma too. It's, are you willing to say yes to it? Mm-hmm. And I know you mentioned that
1: a second ago when you were just saying how a lot of people may be interested in something or pursuing a path, but then, you know, maybe life gets in the way or, you know, they they lose the motivation. Like, do you have any any tips around that and like staying motivated to to find your dharma?
0: Yeah. So, so one question that I ask in the book is like, if you had to write a book yourself. How would you write this book? So there's so many ways to write a book. Are you someone that would like drop everything and just like go into writing this book? Are you someone that would maybe wake up an hour every single morning or like write one page a day? Or are you someone who would just wait till you feel inspired? So like what would it be for you, Sarah?
1: Wait till I feel inspired. Unfortunately. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so so then you probably have to recognize in yourself that you got to follow the nudges
1: You mm-hmm. got to follow
0: you got to follow your flow and your inspiration. Otherwise, it won't happen Whereas for other people like I just did an interview with this guy He's like I wrote one page of my book every single day for six months. I'm like, wow, I could never do that because i'm someone who Would write a whole book in one week like and then hmm. be like i'm done like that's just how my energy goes so so first, know about yourself. Now, if you are... like I think a lot of listeners, they want to do the transition. They want to you know play it safe. Okay. What does that look like for you? So start backwards. Let's say your goal is to write a book. Okay. So from writing this book, the step before the book is you got to get the book published. Okay. What's the step before the book? Okay. Well, it has to be edited. What's the step before that? Well, has to be all be written. Okay, what's the step before that? Okay, well, we'd have to you know write each chapter. Okay, what's the step before that? Okay, well, we'd need to know a table of contents. So now break that down with dates. So if I'm mm. wanting to finish my book by April 1st, when do I need to know my table of contents? When is chapter one, two, et cetera, going to be due? And when am I going to hire this editor? And when is this book going to be out? And I think that it's so important to set dates for ourselves. Like We honor other people's words so much than we do our own. Like if we had this podcast meeting, you're going to, no matter what's happening in your life, you're going to show up for it, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas let's say it was just like, this is your creative time. Like, are you going to show up for it? And that, guys, like at 6pm, I got to show up for this thing. Like, like, probably not. Most of us don't honor our own word the same way. But if you do want to do the transition, it has to be like that. So I think first of all, it's wanting it bad enough you know, mm. see, seeing the pain of you not doing it. Like, what, what would you not doing it look like? You know, if I don't write my book, I'm going to forever live with regret. Mm-hmm. I'm going to always wonder what if. I'm going to always be mad at myself. I'm going to never feel good enough about myself. I'm just sharing, these are the things that were coming up for me. And I'm going to kind of hate myself in some sort of way that I self-sabotage myself for my own dreams. So it's like, okay. So that's that's one end. And then the other end is I show up and I probably will have to miss some, you know, outings with friends and <laughs> miss some good memes on social media and you know, wake up earlier or sleep later or whatever else it is, but which would I rather take. So, oftentimes we try to avoid pain by not doing our dharmas, but you're going to experience pain regardless. So, would you rather choose the pain of remaining the same or the pain of evolving?
1: Mm. I love that. And that is such like an... odd, Oddly, that is such a way to be motivated. Like I feel there's one... I forget the exact quote, but someone was like, how would you feel watching somebody else accomplish your dreams? And I'm like, oh, hell no. <laughs> it's like oddly so motivating when you can put it in context of if you're not motivated enough, like somebody else is motivated to to do it.
0: So, hundred percent. And someone else will. And that's why we always see people of like, I had this idea. And then I saw on Shark Tank, they did the exact same thing. like They stole the idea from me. And it's like, no, that idea existed. No ideas belong to anyone. They just exist in the ethers waiting for someone to bring it to life. Now, you might be second guessing yourself and thinking you're not good enough and whatever. And in that time, someone actually brought it to life. So it's no longer your idea. And it doesn't mean that we have to take action on every single idea. But that one thing or maybe a couple things... Like, I think a big thing is people are like, what if I have multiple ideas and I don't know what to focus on? That was my biggest thing of like, I'm confused. I don't know what to focus on. So I would say, this helps for me. If I have one year left to live, what is the thing that I would want to leave the world with? You know, mm. it, you know, I was working, I had this clothing line and I was doing different things, but I was like, genuinely, I would want to leave the world with my words. Like, that's what I love the most. So I made decisions to align my life with that. So if it's, I would want to leave the world with my documentary, or I would want to leave the world, you know, with kids having this epic preschool or whatever else it is, make that your focus because it genuinely might be your last year, year left to live. Oof. Talk about good timing for that
1: advice. I hope like the audience right now is thinking about this is our last year, guys. What are you going to do to make it count?
0: (laughs) I mean, I hope it's not. I hope the army continues to grow. But imagine if every single year you you continue to show up in the world that way. We spend so much time, Sarah, just wasting energy, second Mm -hmm. guessing ourselves, going in circles. Eighty percent of our thoughts are the same from yesterday. What if we use those eighty percent to come up with new ideas? I love that so much. Okay,
1: I know we're over time, but I did want to ask you one last question before we wrap things up, because I do think this is something, and and I can even speak of this from somebody who has actually like left their job to pursue what is my passion. And I've heard this from other people as well. What happens if you pursue your passion, but you're still not totally fulfilled? You know, like you, maybe you're the teacher, and you are a teacher. But you're still, there's a little bit of nagging there that, like, maybe you're not totally fulfilling everything, you know, your entire destiny, or there's still a little
0: nagging feeling. What then? Mm. So I would look into what are your Dharma archetypes and are you stepping into all of them? Because sometimes we go from one role to the next. You know, I work in HR and now I'm a teacher. Oh, fuck, I still don't feel fulfilled because that artist in you is not being nourished or that that nurture or whatever else it is. So looking at what archetypes are not being nurtured, like for myself, it was definitely my artist. Like I'm like writing my books and I'm researching and I'm the professional, but like, I want to dance. Like I love to dance so much. It makes me feel so alive. But I was like, that's not related to my purpose. Like I'm not going to be a, try to become a backup dancer. Like that's not happening for me, but it's, that's not what I wanted. I just wanted to be a part of my life. So I began to, you know, practice it in my life, like not, For my career, but just something I would do. And I actually share in the book this practice that you can do of what are the five things you're the most ashamed about? The five things you don't want anyone to know about you. Like maybe you're super into like anime or bondage or, you know, whatever, chicken soup for the souls. You read all of them, like something really weird, and you're like, I'm embarrassed about that. And it's definitely not. Something I want to share with other people. Well, those are actually the things that make it your dharma. Your dharma is not like, I'm the teacher now. It's like, no, are you the teacher that went to rehab and has all these tattoos and like that's why you're showing up as the yoga teacher? Because that's interesting for me. Or are you the person who, you know, has this huge company, but like secretly you're like super into. I don't know, like crystals and like you have this epic crystal thing. Like what are those things that you can bring into the pieces of the puzzle? Because your dharma is not this like one-time stop of like, now I have a podcast, like this must be it. If now you got the medium, how can you continue to bring the different parts of you that feel totally unrelated into the picture? And that's when it really steps into your dharma.
1: Mm, I love that. And I'm trying to think now of mine. I feel like I have so many weird hobbies that do not go together at all.
0: <laughs> and that's hey. what makes you you and I'm sure the more you talk about it like for example I used to play a lot of computer games as a kid. So like in the book I'm like giving a reference of like the universe and like we're the Sims and like we're designing our Sims characters and like that sounds really weird to the majority of people but I'm like I know someone out there will understand my (laughs) my Sims reference here or that I love to twerk. Like I love to dance. And I was like, I could never put that on social media. But a good question, actually, if you are wondering this, is you could put like, ask your friends, text your friends, when have you seen me at my best?
1: Mm. When have you seen
0: me at my best? So I put that on my Instagram story. When have you seen me at my best? And everyone was like, when you're DJing, when you're dancing, I'm like, wait, what? I'm like showing up teaching all these like ancient teachings and this is when you've seen me at my best, but it made me realize because I felt so alive in what it was that I was doing that that's when people recognized she's living her dharma and now it's such an integral role in what I do. Even though it feels unrelated, it's what makes me me. So I would say, bring your freak flag in, be the unique self that you don't want people to know about and that's what really makes your people find you. Oh, so good.
1: So good. All right, Sahara, thank you so much for being on this podcast today. And you just gave us a little bit of like a little teeny tiny little taste of what's in your book. So I would really love for you to pimp yourself out if anybody wants to find more from you and learn more about this.
0: Yes. Um, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It was such an epic conversation. So you can get the book at IamSaharaRose.com slash Dharma. You can submit your receipt right there and I have epic bonuses for you like meditations, tapping, etc. And I also have my Dharma Archetype Quiz at DharmaArchetypeQuiz.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and on my podcast, High Self Podcast. And my Instagram is at I am Rose. Thank you for having me.
1: Of course. I'm going to link all of that in show notes and and that quiz, including it. So anybody listening, go take your quiz and let us know what you get. I'm very intrigued. Yes. Yes. All right. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time. All right, guys, that is a wrap on our episode this week. I want to give a huge shout out to Sahara Rose for being on the podcast. She is such a badass and I hope you guys got some real value from this episode. I'm going to link that Dharma quiz in show notes and I would love to hear what you guys got. I mean, post a screenshot of this episode and tag me and Sahara. Let us know your Dharma archetype. You can also join the Big Kid Problems Facebook group and share it with us in there. I love keeping the combo going in that group. So if you're not already a member, come hang out. If you're enjoying this podcast, quick reminder to make sure you're subscribed. Maybe leave a one or two sentence review if you can. It takes less than a minute and it really does help the show grow. I know I always forget to review podcasts. So I'm just going to wrap this up quickly so you can go do it now. Like right now. <laughs> I want to thank you guys for tuning into this show. This podcast is not possible without you guys listening, supporting and telling your friends about it. So seriously, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for tuning in and helping to spread the word. I hope to see you back here next week for a brand new episode and another incredible guest. Guys, we really are starting this year off with a bang. So until then, have a great week and I will see you next Tuesday.